38 minutes past the hour, and we are joined on the line at this time by Dr. Gary Stratton, new friend of the show, who is Dean and Professor of Worldview and Spiritual Formation at Johnson University. But that's just a small part of the story, Gary. I mentioned that uh, before the break, that it's a bit of a where's Waldo with you. You've been all over the country. It feels like you've taught everywhere. Just give us a little rundown, Gary, of where you've been over the last 20 years. <laughs> that's a great question, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, well, I... Uh, in Twin Cities for uh, connected there, living there for four years, connected there for 13 years, flying in and out. Uh, lived in Hollywood for seven years on what we call our missionary journey to Hollywood, Tennessee here in California a couple of the times, and then a big chunk of time in Boston as well. Yeah, it's been great. And when you know, when you're in Hollywood, Gary, you're on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about script writing and the work you did with Christian script writers in Hollywood. Did you ever meet anybody in Hollywood that even for you sort of caused stars to, to appear in your eyes? <laughs> Only once that was really over the top. You know, I'm working with content creators behind the scenes. So for the most part, people know their work but don't know them. But my very first night in Hollywood, I went to a, a premiere and got to meet Amy Adams. And I was completely starstruck. And because I had nothing better to say, I said, oh, my daughter back in Minnesota is a big fan. And she just lit up like a Christmas tree and went, Minnesota, where? And I told her we lived in, at that moment, had just moved from Waconia. And she's like, I grew up in Waconia. And you know about the Jan Hansen Dinner Theater. She said, yeah, that's where I got discovered. So it was, that was my one moment. I thought, wow, from now on, it's always going to be like this Hollywood. I'm going to be BFFs with stars. But that never happened. <laughs> well, we appreciate you joining us, uh, Gary, I know just uh, I would love to have you on and talking about these ideas of how we understand the world and spiritual formation and all of this. I, I got a text from a friend of mine in pastoral ministry the other day, and he said that he's never seen so much anxiety and turmoil in people these days. And I know it's true for me, too. We've seen anxiety go through the roof among our young people in the classroom. And, and I think there's this sense in which so many of us are increasingly feeling lonely a bit isolated. We don't really know what part we have to play, but you do some great work around God's purposes and around what it means to connect ourselves to the larger story. So just kind of talk us through some of that, where we can maybe get out of our individual stories and be part of something bigger. Boy, that is a great, great insight, Peter. I mean, my wife and I were just up till late last night, uh, sitting on the back porch praying, thinking through just how many of our, our students and young people, and when I say young people, for me, that's into their 30s now, um, are, are anxiety and completely lost. So, uh, I, you know, there's so many different reasons. Our society is certainly not helping or disconnecting from people. I think uh, we're, uh, most of us are addicted to our phones, so we're, we're more connected, bonded to our phones than we are to other people, and we've lost track. And how to connect with people. I know that's a huge issue. I know the uncertainty of so much that's going on in this time of tremendous worldview change. But some of it is the church losing track of this bigger picture that we live in. We've become very transactional in terms of coming to know Jesus is just all about me uh, praying a prayer, walking the aisle, getting baptized, getting my ticket punched to heaven, and then I'm just kind of waiting around defensively for the evacuation order from Jesus. And that is not a great way to live your life. Hmm. And so, I mean, what is the invitation, right? Because, it, and people refer to what you just described, I think, as sort of this truncated gospel. It is good news, of course, that our future is secure, and yet we're kind of then just left with this, well, so what does it mean to even walk around in the world, right? Why why not just go out into the middle of Lake Superior and, and sing Kumbaya on a boat until Jesus returns? What What is the purpose uh, of walking out life with Jesus? Well, I... I've been fascinated just my whole life reading biographies of uh, 
the great souls of history and then reading those who studied the spiritual journeys of the great souls of history. And I mean, I have become convinced it is possible to live a life that's just awash in this breathtaking intimacy of the love of God, just as I call it, as, as boundless as the deep blue ocean. And that we can live a life of, of just ever expanding horizons of self-sacrificing service. And we can live a life free from the petty squabbles of tribal disputes that seem to to trouble all of humanity, but it is not an easy thing, and you've got to get past the idea that it's just about keeping the right rules and following the right roles, that there's this bigger story that God's invited us into. Do you want me to get into that? I would love to, because there is that idea, I think, for at least for me, that uh, sometimes Christianity can be reduced down to a series of rules or regulations by which we're supposed to live, but, but the invitation is far more beautiful and promising than that. Yeah, and it's not that the rules and rules are important, but they're not the goal. Right. They don't make a very good goal. I mean, I mean, this is very facetious. I'm put, this is the way I talk about it to students. But, I mean, what we do know is that the story that even starts in Scripture, there's a lot going on even before in the beginning. Uh, that later on, Scripture fills in the details for us that we are created out of the this longing in the Godhead that somehow there's a mystery of these three persons who are one being, don't get it, don't understand it, but they're either they're so love so much they generated three persons, or who knows how it works. But and this is the way I put it facetiously: they were sitting around night just loving, enjoying what it means to be these perfectly loving beings, emptying their lives into one another, laughing, and uh, maybe they're uh, drinking their favorite beverages and eating their favorite snacks and watching binge watching their favorite shows and playing their favorite board games and laughing and say, "This is so awesome! We've got to share this." And let's call Peter and Hallie. They've got to come be part of this. this is amazing. Just like good friends want to share something and. And all of a sudden, you know, the spirit went, oh, no, there is no Peter and Howie. They're not, they don't exist yet. We don't have anyone that can share this. And it entered into their hearts to create beings who could fully share in this infinite love and this self-sacrificing, canonic emptying to one another that they shared. And that's the motivation behind everything that goes on in this grand story of Scripture that's always about teaching us to come into his presence and us continually dumbing that down and saying, we'll stay at a distance, we'll keep the rules, we'll keep the law. Uh, but it's always about coming into this intimate relationship with the love of God. And if we're always just sort of there to, to appease a God by playing by the rules, as opposed to getting swept up into this beautiful story of love, when, when we're swept up in that, then we're part of something bigger. We're part of what God has been up to from the beginning, which is this other-centered love to pour out to everyone around us. And it gives us purpose, whether we're in a small corner of the world, whether we have a large venue. It, it, the call doesn't change, right? It is to grow in love and to treat everyone around us through that kind of lens. Absolutely. Now, obviously, our self-love needs to be dealt with. That um, when we hear, when our culture tends to say, "Be yourself," we'll say, "Which self do you want me to be? Do you want me to be this self-centered, narcissistic, arrogant, uh, what's in it for me human being that dwells within me that Scripture calls sarks or a flesh, or do you want me to be this person created in the image of God that has giftings and personalities and a calling in the world to bless the world and make it a good place?" Do you want me to be, for a Christian, someone who's indwelt by the Spirit of God and the very character and life of Christ is within me? I mean, obviously, it's our, that negative self-love needs to be dealt with. Uh, we do need to come to a place of repentance. We need to get off of our own agendas and onto God's agenda. But the goal is not just to get us onto an agenda. It's got a purpose, and that's to bring us into his very presence. 
And I think for that, Gary, and I'd love to get into this after the break, is again, how, do, how does somebody who may be just listening this morning, how do they begin to make that kind of shift in their life? What does it mean to start getting anchored in God's love and have that be then the purpose by which I live in terms of going out in whatever corner of the world in which I find myself and shining his light? So let's get into some of the practical dimensions of this beautiful invitation into God's story here in just a minute. We'll take a short break here on Faith Radio Mornings and be back in a minute. It is 11 minutes before the top of the hour and pleased to be joined on the line by Dr. Gary Stratton. And we're just talking about a slight shift maybe in how we understand our days. And I I think so often, and Logan, we were talking a little bit too off the air, just about when we reduce our faith down to a series of rules that I'm trying to live by as opposed to getting swept up in the story, it it leads into a, a different kind of reality. Well, Gary, I love what you were saying about this because, I mean, there's no doubt that the rules, so to speak, of Christianity are meant to be guidelines to help us and to help our relationship with God. But when that becomes our goal, whether that be for ourselves or for pastors or for your kids, when you set that as your standard of being a good Christian, we're only setting ourselves and others up for failure, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Paul says the law is the schoolmaster. It's designed to bring us into relationship with God. As a matter of fact, the fascinating thing is how, to some degree, there's a misinterpretation of the book of Exodus, that the center of the book of Exodus isn't really the giving of the law as much as the giving of the tabernacle. That's what takes up most of the, the, the real estate in that. It's all about, and the law is about living a people that can live in the presence of God in the tabernacle. What's at stake is when God says, I'm not going to live with you anymore, and Moses intercedes for them. I mean, the whole point is to come into God's presence, and the whole point of the New Testament is to, to have being dwelt by the Spirit of God, to live in God's presence. The whole point of the book of Revelation is that we're going to, is not that we're going to heaven, is that heaven's coming to us. God's presence is going to come as the New Jerusalem descends upon the earth. So, yeah, it's so easy to get caught up in this. It's just about keeping the rules to keep God from being mad at me. Mm. And as we think then, Gary, about even our faith relative to growing in love, growing in character, formation, Christ-likeness, all of these Christian kind of buzzwords, I mean, rubber meets the road, right? If I'm honest about my day, I'll probably be walking around, and for a decent chunk of my day, because I'm a Christian, I'll at least try to pretend that I'm loving other people, but it's often through gritted teeth, right? Especially with the people that frustrate us, the people that I'm upset about, but I might put a little smile on my face and say, hey, how's it going, when really inside, (laughs) not entirely sure. What do you suggest for those of us that struggle with this kind of thing? How do we really grow in authentic love that pours out? Because I think people can tell the difference, right? Well, they can. And I mean, it was a life-changing thing for me when I realized the truth of what John says, that we love because he first loved us. That there's a need to encounter God's love at a deeper and deeper level that creates, Teresa Bavilla called it a, a artesian well welling up within us that enables us to be able to live a life of responsive love back to God. Our God. When we're in this rule place, it's all about me doing the minimum I can do to keep God from attacking me, or maybe even rub, rub, rub my lucky Christian rabbit split and get him to bless me, where he wants us to develop a set of disciplines that help us stay in contact with more and more of our conscious aware, awareness and more and more over the course of the day with a sense of his infinite love for us that's been released in the, in the sacrifice of Christ. 
And, and, I th- and for me, we started out this segment, Gary, with this idea of so many people are feeling alone and sort of fractured and isolated, and I, and I think for understandable reasons. And then I look up at the wall of our studio, and I see our listeners from all around the Midwest here, Bismarck, North Dakota, and Fargo, and Duluth, and Hartford, Connecticut, which is in the east, obviously, and Madison. You're down in Tennessee, and I think what could bond us together in this story, whether we know each other personally or not, is that if you and Sue in Tennessee are walking around just shining the light and loving people in, in that area and we're doing the same, pretty soon we have a connected community that is going to look a lot different than the partisan rancor we talked about in the first half of this hour between Republicans and Democrats and all the stuff in the world. It, it gets revealed in a different kind of way as, yeah, those kingdoms are going to perish at the end of the day, but the kingdom of God is going to remain and it's going to be a kingdom of love for other people. Well, the amazing, you know, hidden story of the scriptures is how God has a much bigger heart for the world than the people of God do. Mm. The, the Jews kept saying it's all about us, and Jonah wouldn't even, you know, didn't even want Nineveh to repent and get rid of judgment because he was part of a different, they were part of a different tribe, and he wanted God's judgment on them. And even the New Testament church gets wrapped up in it, and Peter withdraws from talking to the Judaizers, even after he has had a vision from God telling him it's okay uh, to be connected to Gentiles. And we do the same thing today. We're we're part of what uh, sociologists call the big sort, where we just decide who's with us and who's with them and do everything we can to attack them instead of having this huge heart that God has for all people uh, that Paul preaches before the Areopagus, that uh, God want, he, in him we live and move and have our being, that we're, we're all God's offspring, that he even fills the hearts of non-believers with joy. He sends the rain, which is good stuff in an agricultural society, on the evil and the good. And uh, once we've encountered the love of God, uh, once our self-life is being dealt with, that puts us in a position to be this uh, in, in, incredible source of life, this river of living life to the people around us. Hmm. You know, and uh, we're actually, uh, Hallie and I are having Logan uh, over for dinner tonight uh, and his girlfriend, Madeline. And I just, what we're excited about is when we share space together like this, right? When we take the time out of our phones and out of uh, all of uh, just the busyness of life and we actually sit and eat together and spend some time together, that is another just practical discipline, right? Where we begin to see each other through a different lens and kind of break down these lines of tribalism. I mean, I know, Logan, you and I, you know, millennial and somebody in my generation, we couldn't possibly be friends. Right. No. And Gary, I'm glad he's telling you about this, because if I'm not seen again for a few days, you know where I last was. Uh, so but no, it's it's so important. And it's it's an incredible opportunity to come together that dinner. It's so simple. It's something that everyone does. Just sitting down for dinner can get you so far with someone who is so different from you. It has a practical step, right, Gary, ways we can grow in this stuff. No, it's just amazing how many times in history spiritual awakenings have been moved forward just by people who make commitments that they're going to eat meals together mm. and pray together and read scripture together and see what happens. I mean, sometimes it's just that simple. And sometimes it is turning off the phone. One of the things we're finding revolutionary with our students, um, me at my stage, I'm centering prayer just where you kind of apathetic prayer, fancy word, but where your, your focus is to kind of push everything away and just be aware of God's presence with us and inside of us by his Holy Spirit. I started doing that with my classes, which requires you to turn off your phone. Mm. Uh, and we just started doing seven minutes of being in each class. Now, I cannot do, not do it because the students said, this is the highlight of my whole day. They're all excited to put their phones away. They'll hit somebody if they don't put their phone away because they just need a moment just to sit and 
and wait on the Lord to be present to him. And so, I mean, Sue and I start every morning with just 20 minutes of just doing, putting everything aside and just focusing on the fact that God is love. Maybe just focusing in on one verse or truly just pushing everything away and just seeking to be aware of God's presence with us. And it is transformational. And when it groups of people do that, it's even more transformational. Mm, Gary, thanks for joining us this morning. I just love your voice into this conversation with just sort of a hopeful message in which, you know, we move beyond a transaction with God, but into a life of love that can really be hopeful for the world. So uh, have a great day down in Tennessee here from Minnesota and, uh, and enjoy the rest of the afternoon. All right. You enjoy the upper Midwest. God bless you, friend. We'll take a short break and we come back. We have a, a final update on the boys in the cave in Thailand because uh, there's some good news on that end as well. So stay with us here on Faith Radio Mornings. Paul, in the newsroom, we've got an update. Good news, right, coming out of Thailand? Yes, more good news, definitely. Uh, the 12th child, we assume it is, all 12, or at least 12 of the 13, have been brought out of the cave. So the assumption is that just the coach remains in there. And as Logan mentioned earlier, the good news is these kids are coming out, apart from some respiratory infections, some minor ones, they're doing great. So yeah, wonderful news there. It, it's phenomenal. My understanding is they started out with some of the strongest boys who just helped prove out the concept of it, and now they're bringing right. out some of those who are a little weaker, and it still continues to be good news. Yeah, and I've been watching some video that Reuters has up, and these boys, you, you can see the joy in their faces. They're healthy. They're, they look weak, yes, but they're, they're, they're doing well. Yeah, it's great stuff. Great first hour here with Tommy Binion and Gary Stratton. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll be with Dr. David Stevens. Stay with us here on Faith Radio Mornings.